Sequel Quest, episode 97, a sequel chat movie review of Shazam. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. I was dreaming of bigger things and want to leave my old life behind. Not a yes sir, not a follow-up. Fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder, 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 thunder. Wisdom of Solomon, strength of Hercules, stamina of Atlas, power of Zeus, courage of Achilles, speed of Mercury. What does that make? Shazam! This week we are talking Shazam, and for those longtime comic followers, we're talking Captain Thunder here, <laughs> or Captain Sparklefingers. You mean Captain Marvel? Didn't we already do that one? I know there was a lot of controversy leading up to it on the online community trying to pit the two movies against each other. Zachary Levi put the kibosh on that. And good on him. <laughs> but I think we're going to get into this, but quite different films. Very much so. Uh, well, let me introduce who I have here. I am Jeremy, and with me are Colton and Adam, Hi. my friendly sequel chat co-hosts. Let's go with a little plot summary here for Shazam. In Philadelphia, Billy Batson is an abandoned child who is proving a nuisance to child services and the authorities with his stubborn search for his lost mother. However, in his latest foster home, Billy makes a new friend, Freddy, and finds himself selected by the wizard Shazam to be his new champion. Now endowed with the ability to instantly become an adult superhero by speaking the wizard's name, Billy gleefully explores his new powers with his new brother, Freddy. However, Billy soon learns that he has a deadly enemy, Dr. Thaddeus Sivana, who was previously rejected by the wizard and has accepted the power of the seven deadly sins instead. Now pursued by this mad scientist for his own power as well, Billy must face up to the responsibilities of his calling while learning the power of the special magic with his true family that Sivana can never understand. It's a pretty non-spoilery overview there. So up top, we're going to start off with a little non-spoilery, and then we're going to go full spoilers. So first impressions here, guys. Adam, what were you thinking going into this? Before you sat down in the theater, what did you have in your brain going on there? You know, honestly, at first glance, I was like, well, I don't know about this costume. It looks like a very comical take on the character, but really... I don't know that that's a bad thing, because, I mean, I again, I've been a comic book fan for a long time. Going back to the original Captain Marvel comics that I've dabbled in over the years and the different relaunches and reboots they've tried, I mean, the character was kind of goofy and lived in a silly universe that was very cartoony in 1939 when he was launched. So it seemed fitting that they were going to inject some humor into this and in doing so into the DC Extended Universe. But first thought was not good and then i was like nope 
this is what they need. And then as the trailers came out, I was like, okay, I am definitely on board with this. There is a charisma and a fun that Zachary Levi is bringing along with his young co-star playing Freddy that I just thought, yep, I think I'm going to like this. Colton, where are you sitting on it? This is one of those things where I was familiar with the character, but I didn't know a whole lot about him. The breadth of my knowledge came from an episode of Justice League that I saw when I was little. And he was flatly called Captain Marvel in that time, where he was basically being philosophically compared to Superman. And I knew that he was a little kid who could become an adult, but I didn't know much more than that. I didn't know about the wizarding history. I didn't really know anything about uh, Black Adam or anything like that. And and so I came in knowing from the trailers that they were going to go for a comedic angle, which I was totally fine with. Um, the chief, Not one of my chief complaints, but overall I'd heard the chief complaint about the DCEU is that everything was so gritty and so dark and so mangled. And they were trying some new stuff by having things be a little more lighthearted with Aquaman and now this. And so I was open-minded to that. It's a little interesting. This was the first one that I personally felt or didn't feel dread going in that there was a chance this was going to be dark, gritty, and just a flop. Me, I I managed my expectations simply because I didn't know a whole lot about the character, but it looked like it was going to at least be fun, and I knew I wasn't going to get a great film. I knew I wasn't going to get anything that was going to be nominated for an Oscar next year. That's not always a bad thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just I just kept everything really well managed before going in. And I'll, and I'll just say at the top, I was pleasantly surprised. And Colton, I think you're not alone in the idea of knowing maybe some general concept of Captain Marvel or mm-hmm. Shazam and people not knowing the ins and outs. Because, I mean, the character was very popular in the 40s. I mean, that, that was yeah, his right. heyday. And basically, we mentioned this a little bit in our uh, Marvel's Captain Marvel <laughs> episode. But the idea was that Captain Marvel was hugely successful, and in fact, outselling Superman and DC kind of set their sights at him and said but he's very similar to superman don't you see he's got a cape blah 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 he flies he's got these powers it's really just the lightning bolt that sets him apart yeah you know? well and the alter ego right the difference right, right. here is that superman and clark kent are essentially the same person in different clothes but captain marvel and billy batson are two different people although one kind of inhabits the body of the other and becomes a grown-up you know starting from a 10 12 year old boy whatever you want to do with that But what was so interesting is that Captain Marvel in 1953, that's when all the lawsuits and everything bled Fawcett Comics dry. They were the ones who had created Captain Marvel, like Jeremy alluded to originally Captain Thunder, but that was already (laughs) copyrighted, so they couldn't use it. Captain Marvelous, uh, Captain Marvel, okay, we'll settle on that. And when he disappeared, DC eventually bought the rights to the character, and in the 70s, he had a resurgence because there was a live-action TV show called Shazam. Oh, I saw clips from that. That was something else. And they he drove around in a van with an old man, which is <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, and they I've two... got candy for you, little boy. <laughs> but they had two different actors that played Captain Marvel between the two different seasons, so that was a little strange. But that was the era of Wonder Woman and then the Incredible Hulk. That superhero 70s was kind of a big thing in Captain Marvel, or Shazam as he was known at the time, because they couldn't use the Captain Marvel name, because now Marvel Comics had gotten their Captain Marvel into the world. So Shazam is what everybody called the character. Oh, you know, like Shazam, you know, and then you would change. You know, that, that was literally 
how DC did their branding. So it wasn't very heavily tied to the comics, but at the same time, that would be hard to do. There was an animated series in the in the early 80s that stuck a little bit closer because uh, we could talk about this when we get to the end of the film, but Captain Marvel had quite an extended family of characters that were unique. Right. <laughs> that was one of the pleasant surprises of the film is that I did not, I, I never at any point beforehand knew anything about that extended family you mentioned. Like, I didn't know anything about that. So that became a pleasant surprise for me in the film. That became one of the little joys of not knowing anything beforehand. Yeah, I mean, a few of them have survived the reboots, but the majority of them <laughs> are no more. And probably for well, good reasons. Yeah, well, most of them, let me know if I got this incorrect, but I, I believe it was Flashpoint where Jeff Johns kind of introduced the whole shazam type thing, where they all say Shazam at the same time, and the five or six of them become Captain Marvel. Yeah, that, that's fairly recent. And, and for people who don't know, Jeff Johns was a comic book writer who actually started his career in film, working with Richard Donner on a lot of movies. Right. But he was always a comics fan at heart and writer. He's been writing basically the best runs and reimaginings of DC characters for the last 15 years or so. And he finally has gotten in charge of a lot of the, the DC film universe. He had to take a step back after Green Lantern, but that wasn't his fault. <laughs> There were other things involved there, you know, but but Jeff Johns is a, a great force for keeping things connected to the comics, much like Kevin Feige over at Marvel. Yeah, now hopefully they can just let him have a little bit of a a vision overarching on the whole thing. So this is the end of our spoilerless portion. We're gonna get in hot and heavy with some spoilers here. So you have three, two, one, Mister Mind. <laughs> You have passed the spoiler threshold. Wow. We're going to work our way back and start with Mr. Mind? <laughs> no, I figured I'd worm him in there. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, yeah, I had okay. to do a little research. You, I, I would not have gotten that joke a couple days ago. I, yeah. I did, too. Like I, I was like, well, that's obviously a character, and I... I didn't know his history beyond like a peripheral. Oh, here's the whole Shazam family. Thing. I when I saw that character, I had no idea. It, nothing in my brain flickered whatsoever. I knew absolutely nothing. And nobody would. I'm, I'm sorry. We need some context here. We're talking about a post-credit scene. Yeah, <laughs> you saw something really weird. Like really, uh, it's really a weird. caterpillar with a voice box. That's yeah. right. And he's he's an alien in the comics. He's an, a super intelligent alien caterpillar that has telepathic powers yeah. so you can basically like control minds and, and influence people and that's the joke right he's like this minuscule I, I, creature i don't think i've ever been more thoroughly convinced that these comic book writers were taking acid or something that <laughs> is just, wow it was a different time like i said yeah i mean captain marvel had talking tawny who was a tiger that walked on two legs and wore suits <laughs> you know there was uncle marvel who was a fat old guy there's there's even hoppy the marvel bunny so i mean there was a lot of anthropomorphized characters and even just straight animals that could talk you know so now now we did see in this movie all three of his major baddies at least referenced with the mr mind two scenes where you see him and the third referencing that he's loose dr savannah and then also there was a black adam reference now i missed that one so tell me where that was uh that's when he's got young billy 
the wizard and he's telling him the whole story like he hits his staff and the whole room glows like these orange orbs and then he starts kind of like black panther did with the sand that would move they did the same thing with the glowing orbs and he went through the history and he was like hey there were seven of us that sat on this council of wizards but we put our trust in one champion and we chose poorly because he slew us and nations that's right that's right yeah because he didn't say it outright there was a formation of a champion shown and him start taking out populations and that and that's one of those things where if anybody knew anything about shazam leading into this it was the rock for the last five years saying i'm gonna be in a black adam movie we're gonna have black adam out it's like well we gotta do captain marvel first but then we'll do a black adam movie and i'm I'm told the momentum is built up for that again it's been a while since. oh yeah about it because how long ago was that because i feel like it's been more than five years you're probably right actually it he's been to go back 10 i mean it's been a long time <laughs> I, I it's, say it's not been 10 i've been hearing that for a long time that the rock wanted to play black adam maybe six now the other thing i want to mention if we're going to talk about celebrities that know anything about captain marvel so the other characters that eventually appear in this film we have mary marvel and captain marvel jr who is Freddy. <laughs> they don't call him Captain Marvel Jr. in this movie, but that was his right. name in the comics. And do you know what famous rock and roll, well, probably the most famous rock and roll personality ever, was a huge Captain Marvel fan and based his actual costumes on Captain Marvel Jr.? Crickets. <laughs> Elvis Presley. So huh. he never would have guessed fan in the, you know, in the forties and the early fifties, when he was getting big, he was still reading right. Captain Marvel comics. And when he had his resurgence, you know, so when he started wearing the jumpsuits and they had like the wings on him and the capes and all that, that was his approximation of a Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. costume. He specifically wow. loved Captain Marvel Jr. I see Jr. it now. Yeah. Yeah. I huh. really do see it. And he even had all these lightning bolt necklaces that said TCB, taking care of business. That was his motto, and he would give them to all his Memphis Mafia and all that. So it's really interesting. That's something I I always just found fascinating. I've read, you know, some Elvis books over the years. I was like, oh, I never would have thought, but there it was. So Now, I I do have some Rock updates here. Uh, The Rock is talking a Black Adam movie. It's looking to shoot in 2020. He was originally given the option of playing Shazam or Black Adam. All sorts of random facts in here. Visually, I think Black Adam suits him better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let him be a villain, finally. Well, and kind of anti-hero, like he... He'll be a champion when he needs to be. But... He was a good villain in the WWE. He can be a good villain in the movies. It's it's about time. And as of September 3rd, 2014, Dwayne The Rock Johnson confirms via tweet that he is playing Black Adam. So it has been four and a half years. Gosh, it feels longer than that because it just feels like such an old rumor. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, he did get a producer credit on Shazam. Wow. I did see that, and I had to blink for a second. I was like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Yeah, I missed that, too. That's crazy. I missed now, all the Black Adam connections. Right. <laughs> well, now the, let's talk our villain here, Dr. Thaddeus Savannah. He is a returning DC villain. Yes, he was Sinestro. I was a little surprised by that. Okay, I knew Mark Strong. I was like, I know that name. Where do I know that right. name? Okay. Country Road, take me home. Little Kingsman reference there. I felt like they did a great job 
of really balancing him as a villain. He wasn't too over the top, and he wasn't twirling too, his mustache. Like, yeah, he, he wasn't too sappy. Woe is me, and I'm everything is terrible. Like he was really like right <laughs> in the middle. I'm determined. I'm going to get what I what I want that they denied me, and now and oh, oh, you're in my way. I'm taking care of you, and that, you know. So it's just like right. very matter of fact at this point. Let's with him. let's talk over that. Like how opening how did you feel with the movie. opening? Yeah. That was such a perfect scene. Like, it just entranced me. That scene was so well done. Like, David F. Sandberg, for the first time, I really think he's on track to be one of the great directors of our time. That scene was so well done. Capturing Savannah as a little boy, just innocent, but seeing that innocence just kind of be chipped away due to the mistreatment from his family. And I have to say, speaking of his family, I was distracted the whole time because that was John Glover. Yes. His dad, who I Multiple DC return guy. And yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously Batman and Robin <laughs> as the yeah, bad scientist. There's, there's that. And obviously he was Lex Luthor's dad on Smallville. What a lot of people don't know is on the animated Batman series from the 90s, he was Riddler. Okay. I, actually, I should have known that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> An Adam oh. fact he didn't know. Yay. Now, in all honesty here, with the opening, opening up with the villain, I was initially worried that they were going to make him too sympathetic. But in doing so, they laid out some of the mythos, laid the groundwork so that they didn't have to redo that once they introduced our hero to the wizarding world, I guess. <laughs> Not quite a Harry Potter Copyright reference. Copyright Universal but... Studios. As I, did, I did time it. Out of curiosity, I did time it. Zachary Levi does not appear for the first time until 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah. That is how much exposition they gave the villain at the beginning so that everything else could be a little more balanced out. Well, the villain and Billy Batson yeah, yeah, and yeah, his world. Right. That's what I, mean. I, th- I think they did equally share the, the spotlight for each of them to, for us, again, to understand them. They both have pathos, so you understand where they're coming from, but Billy's going to be more endearing in that way. And I thought it was interesting that he wasn't, like, when, when he shows up and he is fooling the cops, I was like, what oh, is, yeah. he, is he a bad kid who's stealing a cop car? And you're like, oh, no oh, he just wants their computer. And I was like, oh, right. okay. So that redeemed him instantly. But at first I was like, oh, don't make him like this terrible, terrible, you know, orphan kid. So I was I was happy that they quickly changed that around. But, but at the same time, doesn't that create a plot hole? Because how did he have a license plate number for his supposed mother? He's been following people around. <laughs> oh, man, stalker. Uh, stalker yeah. Billy. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the revelation concerning his mother? Or Yeah. We're, we're yeah. in Spoilerville. The moment I knew he was searching for his mother, I automatically just braced myself for the worst. And this was done to me by the film Joe Dirt with mm-hmm. David Spade. Like, yes. I just, yeah, you, you know what I mean, right? Like, the moment you know someone is searching for their parents, I remember how crushed I was when that happened in Joe Dirt. It, spoiler alert for Joe Dirt. Uh, his parents turn out to be awful people. Like That movie's like 20 years old, if you haven't seen it. I think it's on Crackle or yeah, some free yeah, the, app. The sequel was made straight for Crackle. But anyways, ever since then, I've just been like, if they're searching for their parents, I'm just going to expect them to be dirtbags. That way it won't crush my soul when they do turn out to be horrible dirtbags. So yeah. I was prepared for that, and it still hurt. Even though I prepared myself for that, it still hurt a little bit when she wouldn't even hug him. 
Well, yeah, you know, because like for me, like as a parent, there's the thought of this kid gets lost and the mom doesn't even look for him. You know, that's what you're thinking in the initial explanation. And when they show the flashback, I was just like, that's messed up. Can't even comprehend a parent not trying to find a child. You can tell some very selfish wires are crossed in her brain to have that parental instinct be that broken. But, I mean, she was 17, like she says. That is, like, the peak of your selfishness, you know? So. But the fact that it persisted even into her adulthood, like, to the point where she couldn't even hug her own flesh and blood, something was seriously this wrong. This is not a good time. Oh, it's, it's never going to be with that attitude. Right. So, I mean, it was interesting, though, for me, because it, you could see the heartbreak for Billy, but at the same time, that actor does such a great job of, like, internalizing it and mm-hmm. then basically accepting it, because they just, as you know, you know, like, he knows. He's like, okay, right. that was it. I closed that door, I needed my closure, and they need me, type of thing. And he's like, I'm going to go. So I I thought that was a great way to just turn it around and not dwell on it and make him this super depressed kid, and then they have to pull him out of a ditch and say, no, you got to be the hero. It's like he made the decision himself. He had the moment of clarity. And uh, when he gave her the the gift that she won for him, for him to give it back to her as a symbolic show of closure for him. And it meant nothing to her. Yeah, and it was was a little sad. I felt... felt, uh, powerful twinge of sadness that she didn't even remember that that's literally the last gift she gave to her child and what was it what was the passage 12 years later yeah where she's like what's this and i'm just like my my inner child was ready to cry i'm not gonna lie but well and that that is something that i'm glad dc has finally embraced is kind of what they're doing with the flash tv series they have the three h's that they balance in every episode and it is humor heart and heroics and most of the dc movies have been lacking in that heart department i mean how much heart can you find in martha why did you say that name i'll admit it with the flash tv series i pretty much tear up in every episode and i don't know why it's just like the character relationships in that show are just so well fined and just the way they play out subtly over and over again in the dynamics it's just so well done so yeah i always get a little misty you let out your inner kevin smith on it (laughs) so but this is but we're talking about the sadness i feel like that's like a very small portion of this movie because they're heavy on the laugh right because they do they do get pretty heavy with the heart stuff so you have to kind of balance that out and give some laughs and in doing so they really channel great american hero or whatever that ancient yeah, tv american show hero, yeah. yeah believe it or not i'm <laughs> walking on air yeah. i figured you'd know the theme song <laughs> in basically billy changes and he receives the powers and then doesn't know what he can do. So he turns to his new brother, who is all up in the capes and cowl stuff. Freddy is like the glue of all this. He really Absolutely. is. Absolutely, yeah. All the I've... most critical pointer dialogue of the movie is filtered through him. It's like he is almost a vicarious entity for the audience to experience this through. Yes, he is our in to this film. He has the biggest laughs, I would say, in general. At, at least as far as, like, clever dialogue. He's the one who's throwing, you know, non-sequiturs out there, just talking about random nonsense, you know, that people <laughs> can't connect to. Except for all the comic book geeks out there. We're like, yes, he knows what he's talking about, guys. Invisibility or flight. Yeah, their relationship is perfect because, again, you know, it's that whole idea of a, a kid becoming an adult all of a sudden. So what does that remind us of? 
big. Yeah. Or that 13 piano. going on 30. I mean, either one. Yeah, yeah. That, that piano, though, that was a yeah. nice touch. That was it, it, wasn't, it was so brief that it wasn't too on the nose. I really yeah. appreciated that. They could have dragged that out and really hammered it home saying, oh, see what we're referencing? See? But they made it so that only people who were invested and eagle-eyed and paid attention would pick up on it, and it wasn't too heavy. It's it's one of those things where they allow that learning by the character to not just be like an old wise person. Like the wizard Shazam is not this, you know, figure that is looming over him and trying to teach him lessons. You know, he's not an Alfred. He's not it's he's not a Yoda. Yeah, it's like Freddie who's a kid saying, I wish I was you. I wish I got what you just got and you're taking it for granted. You're not being a hero. You're trying to make money at it. Like he flat out calls him a bully, which took me back. So, I mean, I, I thought that was like a really great way to go about it. But at the same time, I mean, just the fun that they're having, like the whole testing the powers montage when he sets the box on fire. All the, all the fails. Out. He sets it up as a we're going to do a teleportation test. And then once he's in the box, he goes and changes the sign and lights it on fire. Or when he's like, hey, we don't know if the suit is bulletproof or you're bulletproof. Shoot, Shoot him in, in the face. face. <laughs> Shoot me in the yeah. face. Wait. <laughs> my, my theater just lost it when the shoot him in the face part came up. I just, we just were hollering with laughter. It was just so well-timed. And we'll get more into the horror element of this film. Oh, yeah. Considering David F. Sandberg's good touch when it comes to horror, I was so surprised how deft his touch was when it comes to comedy. So well done. Yeah, Lots it of felt times. real. It felt, like, natural in a way. Like, obviously, everything was written. It's scripted that way. I'm not saying it felt improvised. But it felt like a natural flow of comedy between two basically hyper teenagers, essentially, as who we're dealing with right. most of the time. Even as Zachary Levi is playing a teenager in, a, in an adult body. And I gotta say, Zachary Levi, like, he's not a, an actor I really knew. And the fact that he was the blonde guy in Thor, I, I was just like, what? That was him? Like, I never would have known that under all his outfits. He met his quick demise in Ragnarok. Yeah. And I, I, th- I saw some interview with him where he said, yeah, Marvel killing me off was the best thing that ever happened to me, <laughs> career-wise. Yeah. So, but, I, but I just think he, he really does give it just this youthful energy. Even when he is playing serious, you can tell he's a kid trying to play serious adult, you know, which I yeah. think is a great layer to have in a performance because he just can't really intimidate. He doesn't really believe it, but he's going to talk like he knows. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beers. <laughs> The delivery captures everything that you just described. That delivery, just like, clearly he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's trying to look like he knows what he's doing because he lacks age and experience. It's just perfectly layered. Or it's about as like, how old are you? Basically 15. You know, like, <laughs> you totally feel it there. So yeah. what did you guys think about the foster home family, like the buildup of those relationships in there and the foster parents and all that? I remember in the trailers having Freddie go, it gets real Game of Thrones around here. <laughs> no, no I'm, just, no, I'm just kidding. But that naturally made me want to see if the Foster situation was going to be menacing underneath and not what it seemed. And Marvel Studios kind of conditioned me with that, with the mentor who turns out to not be a savory person, you know? Right, right. And I was surprised by how quickly I bought into this family unit as a real unit. There's nothing malevolent there, and there is never going to be. 
Like I had perfect confidence. That's how well done that family was. I mean, it wasn't perfect. But I, the kid who came home with the, the F on his paper, and I feel bad that I don't remember the character's name because he really wasn't well developed. Pedro. That's the only complaint I have. But the rest of the family unit just was really well developed. And I just I had no worries or qualms that it was going to turn out to be something bad. But also that made it so that I knew I felt more comfortable with the biological mother was inevitably going to be a dirtbag. And I knew that it was all being set up so that right. they may not be his blood family, but they're going to end up being his real family in the end. I knew that. Now, I never had that concern that they were going to turn out bad, but I was really concerned it was going to become uh, an ABC 90s TGIF sitcom family, which it sort of is. But at the same time, all those characters are so endearing. Every one of those actors, you just like, you know, Mary is just like, she just seems like a pure soul. You know, Freddie, we've already talked about. But then all like the little kids. Yeah, they were super cutesy, but they were pretty hilarious. I'm a good sister. You know, Darla and Eugene. And when yeah. did it get dark? Yeah. <laughs> but Great that's line, my son right now. My son is six years old and he's on his computer all the time. And then like three hours pass. And he's like, wait, what? It's time to go to bed, guy. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's probably bad parenting on my part. I mean, speaking of which, like this is not really a kid's film. I mean, it is PG-13 and it uses that PG-13. I mean, yeah. in language. You, I think you can bring kids to this. They just shouldn't go to this alone. That's what I think. Even that. Like, yeah, it's going to be a while before I show to my kids you know, yeah, and, they, and that's fine you... your, your own discretion but i i think kids maybe eight and older if they have a parent they can handle this type of film. well that boardroom it's... scene really uh yeah really that... changes the tide there it really does yeah, because I mean, like, if for those, you know, who might need to uh, recall, you know, Savannah's powers, he has the seven deadly sins that basically are inside of him. And that's where he gets his power from. He's and when they come out, they come out in a gnarly gargoyle form. And they're basically, yeah, these like horrific looking monsters, and especially in the boardroom scene, like we've alluded to when he sicks them on all his father's board of directors or whatever. And literally like heads are being bitten off. People are smashing yeah. up against glass with a little being thrown out the window yeah like it gets pretty scary there uh it's pretty intense i I don't get jolted very easily i was surprised by the humming intensity of that scene considering the overall tone of the film it's a very menacing scene but it also sets the stage that savannah is a very wounded individual and he means business and so I think it accomplished an important task there but just be warned this film while it overall has a jovial tone there is a streak of darkness that goes through it, through Mark Strong's character, Savannah. Now, speaking of Savannah there, how did he make money? Like, I know his dad's got the whole Savannah company. That's where I'm imagining he just gets enough money to not have to deal with anything in life. I figured like grants for research. Yeah. That's what I was guessing. Psychosis or something. Cause that's I, I, was, I was guessing yeah. that he was a doctor of either psychology or psychiatry. And he was getting private grants from his family's company and also probably research grants from the government, possibly both. That right, was, because his obsession was mass hysteria, or at least that was the, the cloak he was using to disguise his research. But yeah, 
Yeah, but I did think it was very cool when they revealed all his research room, you know, and I thought it was awesome, the little details that he was picking up and noticing, like it it had to repeat seven times and all that. Like, I I thought that was a cool little mechanic that was much better than him just leading an expedition to find the cave or just something random, like the idea that it was in, you know, a digital alarm clock and things like that. It was was just kind of cool. They they were collecting stories everywhere. And and just having it captured on film, which was something he hadn't had. Had happened before it, and it explains why it took him so long he needed modern technology to capture that you know it it just it, it showed what an intelligent individual he was but also what a tormented individual he was and how about the monsters inc feel with all the doors <laughs> to all yes. these dimensions yes and <laughs> the ones with the alligators you know who the alligator man was <laughs> no it was the director of the movie, David F. Sandberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking, like, it's it's part Beetlejuice, part Monsters, Inc., the Lost Souls room and stuff like that. So they, they definitely plugged into a lot of pop culture references there. Now, there was one Easter egg that I'll mention right now while we're talking about the dark side of Shazam and all of that, which is this is one that I think only like 1% of the audience, people who are very deep into comics, are going to know this. Yeah, you were referencing this earlier, and I even watched for it, and I didn't think that I got it. Yes. So what it is, is, you know, there's the, the very funny scene where Freddy and Billy are sneaking out of school using the Shazam adult to come in and play Freddy's dad and get him checked out for the day, you know, <laughs> which is pretty great. But during that scene, the security guard that they are talking to and tried to dupe, if you look at his name tag, his name tag is Moran. And they even call it out. He's like, uh, Officer Moron. You know? It's Moran. It's Moran. Now, that means sad nothing way to anybody. Even somebody who has read every Captain Marvel comic and every Shazam iteration, Moran means nothing. Unless you are British. Because... In 1953, when Fawcett Comics went out of business and they were no longer publishing Captain Marvel, there was a company in England that was producing these Captain Marvel comics after the fact, but they couldn't legally use Captain Marvel, so they changed the name of the character and his look to Marvel Man. Hmm. But Marvel Man was exactly the same as Captain Marvel. He's a kid named Mickey Moran, who when he says Kimota, which is atomic spelled backwards, he turns into Marvel Man. Everything was exactly the same, and they just changed some names around and and a little bit of character design because Marvel Man was blonde and had no cape or anything, had a blue outfit. But what was cool was that in the 80s, Alan Moore, who many people know, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, you know, lots of Swamp Thing and so many other amazing stories he's uh, told over the years. Before he did all that, he was working for a company in England, a, a magazine called Warrior. He rebooted Marvel Man and told mm. it in this very dark, kind of sinister version. Where does the kid's body go when he transforms? Oh, and wow. where does the Marvel Man body come from? It's an alien construct and all this. Like, it, and it's really dark and that's like. The kid hasn't been able to say Kimoda for years and years, so now he's just a loser adult who doesn't know about his past life. And Anyway, it's like, what does a super being do? Well, he eventually, like, takes over the world and, like, all these things because he's like, yeah, nothing can stop me. I'm disconnected from humanity. And so it gets really deep on the themes, but it's a wonderful comic. In the st- 
States, it got reprinted as Miracle Man because Marvel's like, no, you can't use Marvel. Even for right. this. We don't have a Marvel Man, but you can't be Marvel Man. So he became Miracle Man. But anyway, Mickey Moran. I mean, if that's a coincidence, that's an amazing coincidence. So I'm thinking Jeff Johns has said, we got to name this guy Moran. And now we'll make that joke about it to justify it. But now you have it, folks. That is one of the deepest Easter eggs I've ever heard in my entire freaking life. Wow. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Gosh, copyright laws are just the bane of humanity. <laughs> if you want to know all about it, there is a whole legal battle over Marvel Man and Miracle Man. Go find Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill podcast. And they did a three-part series oh, on wow. all of the ins and outs of the legalities and who's owned it. I mean, Todd McFarlane thought he owned the character at some point, which he did <laughs> not. Marvel Comics claims to own it now, but do they really? There's a lot of confusion. Yeah. But a great batch of stories. Yeah, I've, I've heard tons of that over the years of <laughs> people duking it out over ownership for various things. Even Clark Kent, young Clark Kent, Superboy, even that was in legal dispute until a few oh. years ago. Like Smallville's production almost got in legal trouble just for existing. Can we talk about what a surprise it was to me when all of a sudden he shares the power with his adopted siblings? Yes. All of a sudden, it was such a shock to me. I had no idea there was a, a Marvel family, as it were, in the DC sense. I was so blown away when they all had these costumes and holy cow, male and female, they all became beautiful adults. Like all of them. <laughs> I, I am comfortable with my masculinity to say they were all beautiful people, including the men. And Freddie, I thought Freddie looked familiar. And I went and looked, and it was Adam Brody from the OC. <laughs> okay, that's what I was going to ask. Now, wasn't he cast as the Flash at some point? I, yes, sure in that. that George Miller yeah. Justice League movie. That's right. So I was like, he finally got his day in the sun. Because he got, like, a major credit. Like, in the credits, like, Adam Brody gets, like, his own singular credit. And I was like, oh. Yeah, and... And I think there's conflicting stories that he was cast first or the guy playing Freddy was cast first. So there's there's a little conversation there as to which one was actually cast first and which, which was crafted after the other type deal. You're right, Colton. I mean, that scene, again, I, I wasn't expecting that either. Like, again, and I knew about the Marvel family, but I the only thing I knew was that Freddy would change into a superhero because the action figures got onto shelves, you know, a month yeah. before the movie came out. And I saw people yeah. posting about that. I like, oh. avoid toy leaks as much as I can because they just spoil too dang much. I, yeah. I really avoid toy leaks. Pop vinyl action figures. They had the whole Shazam family revealed. Oh, that must really spoiled it for you. Because me, I had no idea. I, number one, I never even knew those characters existed. But just, <laughs> I had no clue that this adopted family, that that was going to happen. Just no idea. And it just, I got a really unique treat. I don't, I guess you guys didn't get it. But for me to have, to see them all just suddenly get turned into grownups wearing those flashy costumes, freaking beautiful people. <laughs> like the girl Mary, who she turns into, I had to go Google her. She was so gorgeous. Well, and I, I thought it was the same actress, but it, no, I, was like, I thought yeah. they just put different makeup on her. And then in the credits, I was like, oh, they did two different actresses for that? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. The, the other actress, she's actually 20 years older, but she doesn't look it because, you know, yeah. they, again, freaking beautiful people. And Well, it, and they did tease it earlier, and they did say 
something to the effect of that Billy, when he was in his Shazam form, is his peak person he could become. And when they all held on to the staff and said it, I'm glad they did that the way they did, because he's like, quick, everybody say my name. Billy! (laughs) And he's like, no, the one that I say to become this. And technically, each of them got one of the powers of Shazam, that's what it seemed like, but then it seemed like Billy still had all his powers. So I was kind of confused right. by that. Like, he shared it with them, but he gets to still have them all. Like, I thought it would be separated out like Savannah lost it each time one of the sins came out of him. You know, he had less and less power, which is the way they ultimately defeat him. Which was very clever that Billy was able like, to use his brain to basically call out Envy. I, I think that's, well, the, that's the wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. But not just that, but just simply everybody, uh, he wanted to feel special, and it took a little bit of humility for him to just share it, even even though it may not have really cost him a fraction of the powers, as it were, to be willing to give up the whole I want to feel special thing. You know, I, I and felt you just like, have to do things on your own. Yeah, yeah, that was his whole philosophy. He tried to spill to Mary. Look out for number one. But I was very excited to see Mary Marvel because she was a very you know major part of the Marvel family. I thought maybe it was going to be Freddie and Mary and there you just get the three because they were always the core in the comics and the other people were peripheral. But I think that it was still a surprise for me because I didn't see that happen. You know, like I didn't understand that it was going to be the all of them. And I thought that the actress who played the youngest you know the i'm a good sister yeah (laughs) yeah like what a scene stealer but i mean i'm just saying like the adult that had to inhabit that did it perfectly like she still played that little (laughs) little eight-year-old or however old she was you know again cracked up my theater when eugene started firing off those bolts of energy and going reoken reoken yep (laughs) mine too that was that was a big for a 90s kid like me that was catnip and i thought that the gag with shazam or billy and savannah facing off what dude you're like a mile away i can't hear you yeah <laughs> he keeps going with this spiel like that was pretty hilarious so many films have had that and i loved how shazam had fun with the actual scientific facts of such a situation when you're that far away you're gonna have trouble hearing the villain's speech and the way right. they edited the sound for that was just it, it just it also just gives you an appreciation for the craft of cinema how just the little adjustments that are done by thousands of people really make all the difference in the world on how good the movie is generally speaking sorry if i'm getting a little existential on you but just <laughs> the, all those little cogs in the machine they really do help create incredible moments that lead to being stacked up and making incredible movies now i have a quick question about this and jeremy you're usually up on all the studio politics and i know that warner brothers bought new line cinema a while back and so when new line popped up in front of the warner brothers logo i was like why would they brand this using new line cinema because i was first i was like oh are they sharing the rights and i was like no warner brothers owns new line so why would that be in the front because i i thought until the very end of the movie that they were disconnecting themselves from the dc extended universe yeah i thought that was the initial thought behind it was you know let's make this and put it out with the new line that way we don't have to play in continuity and we can make references but we'll we'll see it was it was in a very volatile part of the whole dc movie scene with bvs and justice league and all sorts of turmoil there but then superman shows up at the end (laughs) well 
technically Somewhat. they could not negotiate a deal with Henry Cavill. But I remember even before Batman v Superman came out at this point, Man of Steel was the DC extended universe. There wasn't anything else yet. And I remember when they were first batting around having Black Adam and they said, yeah, they're going to send Black Adam over to New Line Cinema. And they're seriously considering, like, not even really caring about building a universe. Like, they might just have him be a separate thing, you know? And I, and I think that simply the New Line Cinema attachment just stuck. And it just just stayed there as part of the development process, even after they decided, okay, let's build a universe after all. That's what I think happened. They couldn't just detach it. They couldn't detach a production studio after it had already been attached, you know? But having a horror director in there and attaching it to New Line, that fits very well. The house that Freddy built. (laughs) Ah, yes. Okay. (laughs) Fine by me. Well, and and technically New Line, it appears anyway, at least from a quick internet search here, is still, it's technically its own entity. So it's its own studio still, but it's owned by Warner Brothers. Warner Media Company is what it says at the bottom. Interesting. I remember seeing that for the first time when uh, the first Hobbit movie came out. It was all just kind of, the logos were kind of jumbled together. Also, I liked how Christmassy this film is. Like, I'm going to watch it at Christmas time. Very much so, yes. Yeah. Even more Christmassy than Iron Man 3. Oh, I was going to say, is somebody a Shade Black fan? This is their homage. It's like, every movie I make will be at Christmas also. (laughs) Maybe. But uh, yeah think this might replace iron man 3 as my new superhero christmas movie because i'm starting to wonder if that was it was actually intended to be released at christmas time and then got pushed back to april it's for me to know like that was going to be the well wouldn't the dvd release still push it back into close to christmas uh i don't know they, they've been getting this stuff out early yeah it's usually a three-month turnaround right yeah, now. Yeah, which when we were children, that just, no, you waited a year. <laughs> you know, it's, so I, I don't know, but uh, it just feels like maybe they meant for this to be a Christmas release and then it ended up being pushed back for some reason. I was hoping maybe you could confirm that. I don't know. I, I, to be honest, as part of, I wasn't very knowledgeable about this character, so I didn't do a whole lot of research during the development period. I was just like, okay, DC's working on another um, extraneous project, as it were. I'll just see it when it comes out and... And I right, did. it'll like, happen if it happens. Yeah, like I'm still waiting for the Lobo movie, quote unquote. Yeah, uh, it's, it seems to be like now that they're you know getting ready with this uh, Joker movie coming out and all that, like it seems like a better choice to just kind of do a little bit oddball projects because there just seems to be so much expectation in a Batman film, so much expectation in a Superman film, and so people are always disappointed. But you get a character like Shazam in there. You get Captain Marvel in there. Nobody cares because nobody really knows. They have a general sense of him, but Aquaman too. Aquaman got the benefit of the doubt because we knew so little about him, you know? Yeah, and he's always been a joke. And you're like, Jason Momoa is no joke. Basically, (laughs) basically the bar was so low that Jason Momoa could just pull vault over. Well, and and they're really going kind of off-book, just one-off movies like The Birds of Prey movie that's subtitled and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn and also suicide squad 2 which is james gunn's project they're calling it the suicide squad ah yeah it's a total reboot from what i understand that's what i heard but they just announced yesterday that they're getting viola davis to come back yeah amanda waller's coming back and apparently joel kinnaman i heard he's coming back yeah yeah well it's just because he's not doing anything he was probably (laughs) the worst part of that movie so that's unfortunate it sounds like it's gonna be a really really soft reboot like Nicolas cage's ghost rider spirit of vengeance oh yeah 
I know that's a horrible comparison to make, but that's a in mind. Also, we're not getting a new Deadshot in it. It has been confirmed that he is not playing Deadshot, but a new character. Idris Elba, right? Idris, Idris Elba, Elba, yeah. And then we're getting the Green Lantern Corps movie eventually. Eventually. As well. And, and I, the, one of the whispers I heard is that Tom Cruise is, you know, lightly, lightly talking about me. Yeah. He's one of the Green Lanterns. Oh, right, he'd guy. be the old white guy that's in it that's like, I'm too old for this stuff. <laughs> he, he would be playing the Merlin role, training an Arthur. From what yeah, just stick with your Mission Impossible. You got your cash cow. You don't need to get in on the superhero game. You didn't finish Iron Man in the 90s when that yeah. was your plan, so <laughs> you missed out. It could have been you, Tom. Let's head into our final thoughts. Colton, where do you sit with this? Anything we haven't touched uh, on? I remember thinking Aquaman was just a little bit overrated, so I really managed my expectations, and you know, it's funny. I, I was really pleasantly surprised by this film. I'd give it an 8 out of 10. I might even go back to see it in a few weeks. I'm the type of guy who, who can't watch a movie over and over again really close to each other back-to-back. I need space between viewings. So I might, will, go, back, I might go back in a few weeks. I, I enjoyed it that much. Will this be your palate cleanser after Endgame? Oh, Endgame. I just, <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> shut Endgame out of my mind because I'm tired of waiting for it. I want to see it. <laughs> but yeah, it might be a palate cleanser. Now, now that you mention it, it could be a good palate cleanser after Endgame. Assuming it's still playing. I mean, so many screens are going to be taken up by Endgame. Yeah. It's hard to find a proper showing, but we'll see. Adam, yes. where do you sit on this? Well, for me, you know, I just uh, rented Aquaman from Redbox. That's why we never did a sequel chat on Aquaman. It took a while for me to get a a hold of it. And I was not super thrilled by it. I thought it was a lot of spectacle, but I didn't think it had a lot of heart. And I really felt like this movie nailed it from those three H's, like you were talking about, that the CW tries to bring out. I felt like it had everything you wanted. I mean, I got some great laughs out of it. I felt for the characters and I felt connected to them. And then I thought all the action was not groundbreaking, but it was good. Like it was fun for what it needed to be and it served its purpose in the story. It wasn't just cool visuals just to have them. And so for me, Suicide Squad has been my favorite DC extended universe film up to this point. And so I feel like Shazam is right neck and neck with it now in a different column for me where this is just a feel good movie. I just walked out feeling so great and having enjoyed it and being willing to watch it multiple times. And so I think when I go onto my DC Blu-ray shelf, it's going to be, am I watching Shazam today or Suicide Squad? I'm going to stay in the (laughs) S's. And uh, so I I give it a, a major thumbs up. All right. This movie exceeded expectations. Uh I kind of went in like Colton kind of treating this like I do with Fox films setting the bar low and anticipating stepping over it rather than jumping over the bar, which it did. It can't leap tall buildings in a single bound, but it can step over that enjoyability bar. Jack Dylan Grazer as Freddy really was the linchpin to this movie. Mm-hmm. His chemistry with both Asher Angel playing young Billy and Zachary Levi really cements it that he's talking with the same guy or at least gives enough of it that you're like okay i can buy in on this yeah it's definitely worth another rewatch. i ended up working today so i didn't get to go back and watch it again this morning but it's definitely on the before end game kind of watch list again and also one last thing i love the post credit scene of them totally riffing on aquaman's final battle that was hilarious yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, in the testing phase. Definitely yes. a cut scene from the movie where they were like, can we talk to a fish? Let's and- have the fish get into a big, awesome, epic battle. That'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll just mention this as we close out. The, the thing that really did jump out at me during the closing credits was just the fact that this is the second of these kind of teen superhero films that have come out in the last few years to feature a Ramones song mm. as the closing yes. credits theme. So that just seems to be what you do. If you want to represent youth and excitement and your closing credits and you're going to have crazy animation going on, you're going to have a Ramones song. So I thought it was kind of weird that they ripped that from spider-man homecoming but at the same time i'm like if that's the new motif so be it we're living in the era of the kids who grew up as like suburban punk rockers who enjoyed the ramones (laughs) and they the filmmakers are gonna put that in okay so be it 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 was definitely worth a rewatch i hope they release those because that was funny Yep, so many, so many more uh, DC character cameos. Easter eggs, cameos, yeah. all sorts of fun in that. Great. Until next time, Shazam! Shazam! We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at sequelquestpod.com. Now...